Remember my voice. I do trailers. All kinds of trailers. 73, take two. One day they'll put me in a film, a proper full-length job. Until then, I'm just stuck with this sort of stuff. Go and see this. Don't miss that. The most terrifying thing you ever saw is coming to babysit for you tonight. All right, cut it there. Look, just read what's on the script, will you? What? The script. Other way up. Ah. <clears throat> Ready? Yes, yes. You flock to see brief encounters for the special... Close. <laughs> Close encounters. Close encounters. The film. Oh, I never saw it. Well, forget that film. We're on about our film. Time Bandits. Time Bandits, the one you are supposed to be promoting. Remember? <coughs> you flock to see Close Encounters for the special effects. You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You went... Now what? That's page two, man. It's under page one. See? Oh, you went to Star Wars Time bandits can offer you much, much more. It's not the special effects or flying in or droids which makes time bandits a unique cinematic. Cinematic! You know, pertaining to the cinema. Cinematic experience, it's the makeup. Yes, folks, you've never seen anything like it. Men made up to look like monsters. Monsters made up to look like men. Look alike men made up to look different. Different men made up to look alike. No expense has been paired, spared on the pan stick. The pan stick. No expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man. Just a minute, just a minute. What about the plot? The what? The plot. What the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? You're sitting there telling millions of people to go and see a film you haven't even seen. Well, I can't see every film I do, now, can I? Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Look, give me that. What are you doing? Taking over. You're out. O-U-T. Finish. Kaput. Finito. And what about the trailer? I'll do it. <laughs> Time Bandits is an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest. <laughs> honest. Smartest. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> That's how you do it. There you go. <laughs> marvelous. Absolutely marvelous. That's a good it had, it had everything. It had, you know, it had a plot going on in the background that had nothing to do with the movie itself. <laughs> it, it, it was like a play, kind of. You know what I mean? It had the trailer guy that we were talking about in, uh, we we're talking about Never Ending Story that was like, in a world. That guy yes. told his whole backstory. I learned a lot. Don't yes. know what the movie was about based on that trailer, but I learned a lot. <laughs> but then again, I watched the movie multiple times and I still have no idea what it's about. So. I watched it twice today and I love this movie so much. Oh, it's great. But as far as like what it's about, I mean, yeah, that's we'll get into it. We'll get into all that and more. It's, it's movie night. All right. Well, this is movie night extravaganza. <laughs> Should have started probably with that. Um, <laughs> I'm Forrest Miller, your host, joined by Jay Andrew, six foot nothing world. 
illustrator, uh, Ben Burgess, uh, you know, designer, um, bad, bad takes haver. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. I had fun last night uh, making really raunchy uh, Zizek jokes at the uh, post game. Sounds like a sounds like a good time. Yes. All right. Also joined by Protonic Reversal and Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends frontman Conan Neutron, coming to you live from a different spot. Coming to you yes. live from the Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal Void. Um. That's right. My, the the void which I do my show in. Yes, which is different than the void I do uh, this show in. <laughs> In fact, I'm actively dematerializing right now for those that are watching. This yeah. uh, this yes. show like literally is a void, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a void where all my free time goes. <laughs> so. And also joined by Amy Bell and Amanda Ferrianti from uh, th These Are Bad Movies, different from Bad Takes. Um, everybody <laughs> has different opinions on bad movies. You guys do good movies and explain why they're bad. Andy does bad movies and explains why they're good. I don't know how you guys haven't fought yet, but I don't know. But they they came on uh, this past uh, week and and had a great time. Oh yeah, oh, it was yeah. wonderful. It was, we well, actually, I think actually, it's because there's just so much content that n no one can do it on their own. It's very true. You know that we just have so much to cover that it, it it's good to have like a comrade in arms in the taking <laughs> down of the movies. It really is sort of like. A, a partnership separated by two podcasts in distance. Yes. <laughs> and, distance and I'm also space, glad, but not in terms of a love for the thing that you're doing, of course. And I'm also glad we're here to talk about a movie that doesn't open with a colonoscopy bag being peed into by Glenn yeah. Close. By Alan oh, Dershowitz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start with this clip. Uh, it's literally just everybody involved in the movie shit talking each other. And okay. including uh including uh George Harrison, who apparently funded the movie, which is uh something I uh, and funded a bunch of their movies, which is interesting. That was but, the um, first thing I learned about the movie before ever watching it. Well, I you know, no one nobody told me they just said watch Time Bandit. It's a it's a movie and it's on the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> was, 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 that, was that the lead up? Yeah. It is in fact both a movie. And also on the schedule. Known <laughs> <laughs> for making films cheaply. <laughs> Towards the end of Time Bandits, that's when things got a bit tougher because there were certain things that Dennis wanted cutting out, and I wasn't about to cut them out. Um, particularly, you know, tasty things like. Uh, eating rats and things like that, which you know, you've got to do in a film of that sort. He's very squeamish about things, and, and these are the things that made a scene interesting. What, anybody? Might be the last minute yet? It wasn't a horrific thing, it was very funny. And we had a lot of arguments at the end. I think that was the beginning of the end of the relationship. I just think I would prefer him to stay doing what he does extremely well and let those other people deal with the other things. I think that would be a very silly thing for us to do because um, if we're going to be crazy, then we have to develop some safeguards and we also have to develop a very keen interest in what we do. We tried to get into situations where we could um, sort of edit the screenplay rather than shoot all the screenplay and then edit the film and chuck maybe half a million pounds worth of footage on the floor. 
And uh, we had a few rows with Terry, but um, very small compared to the trouble he's had with recent films. Oh, Terry Gilliam falls out with almost everyone he's ever met and doesn't speak to them for three years. You know, you know this is part of Terry's life. It's sort of a deep pattern, which I think it would take him many years to cure. Terry was never satisfied with anything. He's just made a $45 million film and he's still complaining. <laughs> Didn't have enough money. <laughs> he's just a silly old bitch. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's very sweet. I took him out to dinner last night. I paid, of course. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the film, I'm a crazed person, and the film is my child, and I'm his mother badger, and everybody is a threat to it. And there was a point where I threatened to burn the negative. I had reached the breaking point, and I said, if you're going to insist on those cuts, I'm destroying the whole thing. I made it. I can destroy it. Goodbye. <laughs> Benson. I'm a reasonable man. That poor motherfucker got turned into a dog and then got blown up. On his day off. Yeah. He just wanted to get blown up. He kept begging to get blown up. He just wanted to get blown up. He got turned into a dog and then blown up. Yep. Not what I asked for. <laughs> It'd be funny if he like discovered like actually I kind of like this. I hope he doesn't blow me up and then gets blown. I think being a dog actually, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I I think it's really funny that Eric Idle's in that uh, clip and then wasn't even in Time Bandits. There's no like, <laughs> well, just because he's it's part of the gang, man. It's Monty Python gang gang. Yeah, yeah. But it's just funny like that he pops up in that to be like he's a silly old bitch. <laughs> right. Well, it, that that makes it all the better because of course they clearly take the promotional vehicle of. Of, of that not seriously in any way, shape or form and know that their brand is complete and utter nonsense. So it works. Yeah. I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, I feel like it's group aspirations Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I mean, I feel like, like we're almost reaching it, like fighting behind Arby's imaginary fights behind Arby's like, you know, making appearances at random times to be like, yeah, Forrest is just a silly little bitch. And like, <laughs> but also to do this. But also paying for each other's dinner at Arby's. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, gotta get that roast beef. And I'll, be, I'll be missing a few teeth and still be like, you know what? I'll pay for everybody's dinner. <laughs> I, lost, I lost this one. I'll pay for everybody's dinner. <laughs> oh, you all forgot your wallets? Well, fuck you yep. guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I totally okay. We get it. You, you, you forgot your wallet. You forgot your wallet, right? You know. And I forgot a few teeth. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> well, that's um, where the, where the uh, the shit talk comes in in the promotion. You can complain about oh, none of these people pay for their own dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and Monty Python's always been amazing at that. Like Monty yeah. Python's always been amazing at like doing like a almost like a fake documentary style where they mm -hmm. kind of. Uh, turn all of that into promotion and you never know where the promotion ends and like where the actual like you know because it seems like there was like a legitimate story with terry gillum threatening to burn the the negative i think actually happened and also you know breaking ties with dennis who does seem dennis seems like the silly old bitch he seems boring as fuck like fuck dennis but then it seems like george harrison and and i think dennis was like the executive producer and george harrison 
um, nobody would fund Time Bandits getting made. And they wanted to make something else. And George Harrison came in at the last minute and was like, you know what? I'll fund this. Just like I funded, you know, your other movies that you made. And he's like, we just have to get some money back for this. And then they kind of drained his fucking contributions. He mortgaged <laughs> his house. I wonder if he characterized it that same way you just said it. You know, just like I funded all the rest of the things you guys have done. You know, just sort of like, yeah. whatever, you know. <laughs> whatever, I'm one of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. it's... I, well, I wrote many timeless I mean, songs. He really liked their movies. <laughs> he did. He did enough for Monty Python that he's almost like an honorary member. Yeah. Um. And I mean, if I were George Harrison, like that just bolsters my legacy, right? Like, yeah. mm -hmm. I mean, the problem it, is that knows. George Harrison can't have beef with anyone because he's a vegetarian. True. Uh, yeah. but, but you know what though after 89 he totally could have joined monty python because it wasn't doing anything and uh they were they were short a member after 89 <laughs> yep there we go folks all right so anyway uh <laughs> speaking of time time bandits yeah yeah were we i think we were i feel like we might we were at one point time bandits are how many hours the show has stolen from my life and I know all of you guys. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh. damn, dog! It's um, like that, huh? No, so we can take this conversation in a million directions. I think that this movie kind of feels almost like um, it's almost like leftover like Monty Python ideas, like which I guess they came up with like new ideas, but it kind of feels like it's just like skit after skit, and they kind of tied them together through the portals, like they're going through the the portals the entire time. And well, it's a great of, conceit to have different bits, you know, in historical eras, right? Why not? Yeah. So um, I, I have I have a few clips from a, a conversation with Michael Palin and Terry Gillum, who wrote this together. And although Terry Gillum seems to get all the credit, um, so starting with this one, I think. Well, Michael Palin's just too nice to say anything bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the one person that didn't show up in that in that. Uh, He's the nice one. He's not going to say bad stuff about Terry Gilliam. I think I think I have to take credit for the, the initial idea of running through time and space and uh, committing crimes and able to then escape with the loot of your crime before the crime was committed. That's where it started. No, it was uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd written yeah. a couple of sides of paper, which you appeared one day in my kitchen i remember that and said this Magically. is the next thing look i'm just this is the basic idea and it was really pretty much all there including i think time bandits the name which you always felt yeah. was only going to be a working title and yeah. have to change it eventually but that, that i remember you bringing it around i remember seeing that and that basically was the whole idea of yep. two sides of full scap and the idea i think was again trying to do a film from a child's point of view but yeah, yeah. thinking a kid couldn't sustain it so let's surround them with a gang of equal heighted people which became the little guys who were the time bandits and uh and i think i think the original idea was still in there that they had been working for god and got bored and frustrated because you know going out and robbing banks and things was much more exciting yeah. than creating the universe yeah but there's a lot of i mean a lot of characters there basically and then and then it was the idea of going back through history and sort of i'm not sure how that happened just who we'd use, you know. I think that well, we, didn't we sit down and actually come up with a series like of yeah. historical really characters. interesting characters that everybody yeah. would know? And there was, and also that there had to be different periods of history so they wouldn't clash and they'd look mm. very different. So there was, uh, 
you know, there was this ancient Greece and there was, there yeah. was uh, the, the sort of Napoleon, Napoleonic Wars, yeah. which you like very much because a lot of battle stuff and bodies throwing themselves all around. That, all that stuff. All that. Yeah. yeah, but I still Particularly think... that period, was it you said it's got to be that period? You no, know, I think Napoleon was clear because it was you know, he was about you know, power adventure and to rob Napoleon seemed a good thing. But I yeah, think, yeah. again, your skill was to know all the short people in history, all the powerful short people, which is an incredible you know, yes. source of knowledge that most of us <laughs> don't have. I don't know whether I knew that Napoleon was short, but it was a hell of a bonus. <laughs> Tamerlane and uh, yes, all of them, this list that went yeah, on and on. I sort of made that up, I think. Oh. I'm not sure that's totally historically accurate. But Napoleon was, was very squat. And, and actually, I did quite like the idea that um, some of the most powerful people in history were short and angry angry at being short, therefore very dynamic. So they had it in for people who are tall, languid, and of a normal height, who had a fairly comfortable life. Mm. So that's what gave them the energy and the obsession to get back at the people who were big and tall. Uh, that was... <laughs> but I still think it was a well. great moment to rob him and then end up in the Middle Ages, where there's Robin Hood, and then takes all their yes. wealth. Really so it was this constant yeah. thing yeah. of them yeah. failing, which is what was yeah. important. Uh, yeah. And, and there's also a sense that, you know, a kid with all of his heroes, and we're deflating them as we go through the whole movie, you know, yes. whether it's Napoleon, Robin Hood, we're yeah. just you're pulling the rug out from underneath their yes. feet. And the kid. Indeed. <laughs> I, I like that they were talking about, like, you know, uh, the height thing, because... Um, uh, it's your name because it's the name that you picked on your well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> not just that. Uh, years ago, I was at a convention and I was uh doing uh prop troll work for, for um uh the performances, and uh, they told me to set the microphone up low because the next guest was short. They didn't tell me it was Kenny Baker, um, you know, the guy, the, the, the dwarf they shoved into R2D2, um, Whoa. who's also in this movie, yeah, who's also, and uh, he comes out. And he, he looks up and he tries to reach up with his little arms and he couldn't reach the microphone because I didn't put it down low enough because I didn't realize, it, you know, they just said he's short. Um, yeah, no, well, so when they say he's short, you assume like, you know, five five foot something. I was thinking like, you know, you know Amy height. Hey. <laughs> and so out walks, um, uh, what's his name? Um, the, 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 the seventh doctor. Uh, seventh doctor, uh, uh, Sylvester, McCoy? Sylvester McCoy. Yeah, yeah, Sylvester McCoy walks out and he's like, Did you see the guy who set up the microphone? I did, he's awfully tall, isn't he? And they're just sitting there <laughs> making fun of my height. Fantastic, that's cute, actually. And then he takes the microphone and he, he holds it by the cord and drops it right to the floor. And Kenny Baker looks down and goes, You know, I'm not that short, you did, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was waiting oh, for that. You hit the point. Um, no, I, I really, I really like the. I mean, because you know, Napoleon complex is is obviously like the term, of, you know, for like the historical term for the psychological condition that comes with someone like Napoleon who is short and is like just kind of trying to take it out on everybody. Which, I mean, who knows if that was like had any kind of motivating factor in Napoleon's actual decisions? But like to have him be that obsessed with. Uh, with height is like a very it's a very python-esque like turn i'd say and he's the tall one in this film yeah <laughs> comparatively <laughs> it's I, one of the it, reasons he likes their their performance so much which is almost objectively terrible but then if you think about the fact that nobody would have heard me in my shadow in the napoleonic times yeah right so oh what a delightful song they apparently wrote themselves <laughs> choreography could use a little work but 
But also but when he's sitting there, when he's the there laughing hitting each other. When he's yeah, when he's sitting there laughing at the puppets, and the, like the puppets are the most entertaining thing in the world because the puppets are smaller than him. Yeah. And watching like you know smaller beings do damage to each other, even though they're not real people, they're literally puppets, is like a, a really hilarious turn for that to he take. Likes it. Yeah. And then and then of course the dwarves can't really do anything without you know at least one of them punching the other one in the face. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that bloodlust takes over. I don't know. I think that whole sequence was hilarious. Like it was a good a first like a good first time bandit uh heist. And just the <laughs> idea of robbing Napoleon too is, is amazing. Oh, they even take his hand. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I would totally take Napoleon's hand if I had the chance. <laughs> well, and that's what I, I like about the the narrative is whether or not this is really happening or it's just the kevin's dream it makes sense that this little history nerd has a good grasp of some of the stuff from these different time periods but is just sort of rolling along and making it up as he goes yeah as kids yeah. do i mean and that that's what i loved about it is that by the time you get to the um what was it called the dark castle or what was it the where, where the evil lives dark fortress i think is what it was it's made of legos yeah so, and there's a know, giant not, lego there's even a giant yeah. lego in the middle of the room like <laughs> yeah you're not in, and and like he turns into a pin cushion and a carousel and like it's it's just very um by the time you get there it's clear that this is like Someone sitting there like playing with their dolls and like there's a big doll and that's why there's a ship on its head, you know, mm -hmm. and it's really, I loved it as a kid. I was a, I was a history nerd as a kid. I got a degree in history. I love history. I loved it as a kid, uh, but I hadn't seen it in years, years and years and years and years and years. And I watched it today. And I love it even more as an adult. I watched it a second time. Like when my kid got home from school, I was like, no, you're watching this too. You have to see this child. It is for the children. And I, <laughs> think, like, that okay. I think that there's a certain kind of, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this in the beginning of, of the movie um, where the parents are just sitting there obsessed with their like appliances. And that's all they can fucking talk yeah. about the entire yeah. time. And, you know, to be in, in, in Britain, like to be anywhere kind of in the in the UK, which is the, the spot of kind of a dying empire that kind of historically has had all of these like romantic traditions and things actually happen there that involve like real like heroic historical figures. When you're sitting there at the kind of um the the zenith or like the, the end point of an empire mm -hmm. that's literally had the life drained out of it by the last century, um, to the point where it really is that people can just sit there and they're like, you know wearing whatever clothes, like middle-class people in like a, a house, not making enough fucking money, just sitting there talking about appliances. And that's all they have to talk about. They're watching TV and they have the, uh, you know, your, your money or your life, like that, <laughs> that, that whole gel. sequence. Yeah. So to <laughs> kind of, yeah. as a kid, right at the end of that, at the end of this empire to kind of um, be imagining Napoleon and, you know, wars of conquest between knights and not really know the details of it, per se but like kind of know that you know throughout history on this continent in this country all throughout kind of europe like these heroic battles were taking place that have just been reduced because you know the, like the uk was like the biggest or the british empire was the biggest empire really until america came and just kind of swiped that title from it you know what i mean at the end of world war ii like the, to be sitting there at the end of that and just be imagining like 
knights running through, you know, and and you know, even even like the time bandits themselves as these like you know seven dwarfs type characters. I mean, there's six of them, and then there's one that was evil, which I, you're supposed to, I guess, know because <laughs> there's one dwarf that's next to evil. But um, like you know, just to be in that in that state, and the world's been so 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 drained of all of these heroic narratives. The world's been drained of all of this uh, mythical, like you know, this mythical imperial conquest. And you're just sitting there being like, well, I wish I was part of that age or this age or any age, any age besides the one where my parents are just babbling about fucking microwaves in the front room and telling me to go to bed. That's not like a real life. This is what things Mm -hmm. used to be like. So that kind of, yeah. And the way that that conversation, like what I thought was brilliant about that is that he, he wrote it in a way they wrote it. I guess they both wrote it together, uh, wrote it in a way that, you could believe it being written by a child because yeah. it's almost yeah. like they sat there and went, what's something grownups talk about? I don't know, microwaves, you know? <laughs> and then when they have like lovers on the road, they're like, Oh, what about this thing that no one understands? You know, like they kind of it's literal like, hemming and hawing. Yeah. yeah. And, and just really kind of over the top gushiness and they're saying things that are alluding to something that even the adults don't understand because it doesn't make sense. It's got this like perspective of a kid watching uh, not sex, but, you know, sexual tension and not understanding what it is they're seeing and like making up words to go with it. And it's just beautifully done. And there's also this disappointment, I'd say, right, that goes through. I mean, you know, as as a kid at the end, like at the end of this kind of mm-hmm. uh at the end of history, really, like you know what I mean, like it, like in his mind. When Francis like, Fukuyama comes out. It's a weird ending. <laughs> no, but like yeah. you know, it, like at the end of Empire, right? Like a kid sitting there, and literally the, the adults are just reduced to kind of just talking about microwaves or whatever else. Like, you know, to be sitting there, and then everybody's everything is tinged in disappointment. Like it's disappointing that Robin Hood just ends up being literally inspired by like the Duke of Kent, and is just like great, ha 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 ha, and takes their loot from them. And, you know, it's disappointing that Napoleon is just like this weirdo obsessed with his height. And it's disappointing that even the lovers, there's something wrong with, you know, Michael Palin's lover. In both times he appears, you know what I mean? Like he has these these defects. And to kind of be growing up and realize that everything is defected and everything running through this empire is defected. And it's all kind of disappointing and it's all disillusioning. Mm-hmm. And but But still be kind of written in the way that a kid could kind of conceive of it. I mean, I didn't think about it. The first time I, I watched through last night, but like, yeah, you're right. Like, <laughs> well, and if you think about it in terms of like, uh, there's there's good and evil, and evil is really really obsessed with technology and just thinks it's the neatest. Yeah. Um, and uh, throughout, well, more as the movie progresses, Kevin with with the bandits is trying to tell them, hey, the money isn't that important. It's the relationships we make along the way. <laughs> like it's actually fairly, but they're all grown ups too. So you know, the kid is trying to say, like, why do you care so much about money? Because kids do not understand why gr- grown ups get so concerned with money and material possessions in any way. And even like at the end, he's gained all this wisdom. And the way it ends is that even though he's got so he's learned so much along his journey, and he can spot evil when he sees it. When he tries to tell a grown-up, they just don't respect him or trust him, and there's nothing that he could do about it. And I just love when he says, "Don't touch it," and the parents just go immediately, <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> and die. 
And I was hoping I'd get the chance to weigh in on any one of the 20 topics that you guys discussed before we talked about that. But holy shit, best, best, like crazy ending ever, right? I like, loved it so much. Where and and spoiler alert for a movie that is like what 1981? Yeah, when does this I come out? Like, like about it. Yeah, like this is like you even see uh Sean Connery, Sean Connery in this film, sir appearing in this film. Uh, you even see him as the firefighter give him a little hey, and then like, but then drive away. So it's not like, <laughs> oh, he gets to like go live out with like his buddy uh Sean Connery in this reincarnated form or whatever. It's just like, no, like parents just died, and it's like, all right, that's the end of the movie, everyone. Yeah. By the way, that was essentially an accident, uh scheduling accident that that happened because the original, I guess the original script called for um the, the giant barrage, Sean Connery was supposed to come and try to save him with all of his like, you know, soldiers and that he was going to be one of the people attacking evil. And Sean Connery had a million other things to do and was like, I'm not coming to England anytime soon. Sorry. So they got Sean Connery. I have a, I have a clip about it, but they have okay. Sean Connery for, for an hour. And he was just like, well, what if I was just a firefighter? He came yeah. up with that himself. And was like, what if I was the fireman that just winked at the end? And they were like, Oh shit. So <laughs> oh, yeah. It was such a subtle and bizarre it's good. Uh, addition to the parents blowing up ending. Like as a kid, uh, it was hard to even remember what I was remembering from it. Like it just felt like a fever dream. And like, did I just see that person there? Was that the same person? Like as a kid, <laughs> keeping track of all of that, but also just like I enjoyed being in the space of time bandits when I was little, even though I couldn't really follow what was happening. Yeah. Like it just really clicked. To like my kid brain, and I'll I'll shut up and let Conan talk after this. I want to say that the one tangible, the one the one tangible thing that he gets out of it is the, the photographs, right? Which is the one kind of link to technology throughout the movie is that he kind of has this camera going around with him and he gets to take photographs. And it's like the whole like I was thinking throughout this because I mean there's kind of movie cliches, right? Like you're taking pictures the whole time and it's like oh well maybe you get the pictures back or somebody winks at you. I mean it's funny that the guy winks at him and then drives away because. What the fuck is that kid going to do now? His parents are dead. And it's just like what you thought about was actually happening. Haha, <laughs> drives away. But like, you know, the photographs, I think, play into that. Conan, I want to hear from you. You are on the air. <laughs> so, <laughs> is this thing on? Is this thing on? Uh, you got to say first time, first time, long time. First um, time, long time. Uh, big fan of the show. Take my answer off the air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I love the fact that the original casting for Sean Connery was a Sean Connery type. And then they literally just asked him. And he's like, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> well, it was Sean Connery or a cheaper, a cheaper. A, a cheap, like, like, yeah. like it was something like pound shop, Sean Connery or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what the, the derivation of it was, but I like that. He's like, yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. And I actually think it adds a lot to the movie. I think there's a few things, like I said, there's a few things I kind of wanted to touch on. Not the least of which is, I think it's an incredibly clever writing that it is written in the style of, as often mentioned here so far, that in, in the style of how a child would tell a story, playing with the action figures, right? Like, and what else do we have? Oh, we got a boat. Uh, but what if it was like, uh, it's it's really top of someone's head and it's crazy. Like, uh -huh. like the the entire way it unfolds. Like, if you think about it in terms of linear storytelling, it doesn't make tons of sense but the idea of like oh no they've got this map this map leads them to the different times where they steal the stuff mm -hmm. and they're like oh no the map got lost oh but check it out kevin took pictures along the way and so they can see it in the picture and it's just like that's actually pretty clever now all that said it is 
stunningly chaotic and almost a victim of its own enthusiasm a lot of the times that you could have dialed down about 10% of that. It still would have been hilarious and interesting and awesome. I and swear to God, I will burn the negative if you even fucking me. try to dial it down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... You want less of it's time a, bandits is what I'm hearing? It, it, it's Look, look. They, they, they had a vision. They're already dwarfs. How much less can you really take? <laughs> they had a vision. You can't reach the microphone. <laughs> they had a vision for what they wanted to do with this film, even though... Uh, the, some of the same themes and, and similar ideas and concepts and like haunting visuals. Can we just say haunting visuals? Like yeah. stuff that like, I love this movie as a kid. I probably couldn't tell you a single thing about it other than the fact that ah, they ran around stealing stuff, you know, and that was like the sum totality of it. But I remember things like the bedroom wall moving and like the night coming over the, the bed and like the, cages hanging in the void like all that stuff i remember the game show where it's like a labyrinth to get over to it all that stuff all of that stuff i, I remember so distinctly i do not remember the plot holes at all like that wasn't like what i was concerned with at when the time. you say plot hole do you mean time hole because that's <laughs> right. that might be the same thing but i think that it's notable that all these same a lot not all these same ideas but a lot of these same ideas show up and things like one of my favorite movies of all time, Brazil. They show up, and but they're in more articulated forms that uh, are more quote unquote palatable for an adult audience, while still maintaining like the crazy visuals. Which why I, I feel that is the best dystopian sci-fi comedy. I have never been able to stay awake through an entire viewing of Brazil. You are missing out because as I I, as I own the movie, okay? <laughs> like it's not from not trying. <laughs> Bolsonaro just, shows up at the end. It's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, never ever watch the because the, there's the Criterion edition has three editions, one of which has the tacked on happy ending for television. Do not ever watch that version. By the it way, is, Criterion Criterion also has Time Bandits, and the sound is just like I, I had to I had to pay for a rental because the sound is just too low. Like I don't oh, it oh. Wasn't coming up on my. That's too bad. Yeah. Criterion, get to it. I know you're watching. <laughs> Criterion. Can we get our Criterion channel uh, viewers to uh, you know get on that shit, please? But you, you know what I thought really worked though about the storytelling uh, in the era that it was made is that it it was on regular television a fair amount, not regular, but like cable. I don't know. However, we watched TV back in the day when you couldn't see what was on and you just had to flip through the channels, right? For those of you who experienced that, if you came across Time Bandits in the channel flip, it didn't matter where you were at in the movie. You could watch the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah, because it's a fine movie. It. Like, it was just like, it was also very compartmental. Like, yeah, you can, you can watch whole sections and be like, oh, yeah. that was an awesome movie. And you're like, no, that was like just 10 minutes. They were running around doing that thing. Right, over there. right. And so, like, you could pick it up at any point in the movie, watch for as long as you wanted to, and walk away satisfied with whatever you'd seen of Time Bandits, you know? And they'd be like, oh, I guess we better get to dinner, you know? Okay. Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, no, evil. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, Conan, but I, I know you only got to half of what you wanted to say there. So I want to give you space. I want to give you some, you know, some, some, some time hole to really. <laughs> to really some rope to hang yourself with. <laughs> oh wait that's that's me that's my job 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the the uh are you, the are you probably would... encouraging Conan suicide on camera? Please don't do oh. that. We're, that's not the kind of show that we're. we're oh, this took a dark turn, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, for a Gilliam film, even. So I think that hitting on the just comical, crass commercialism and consumerism of the movie that was really kind of only at the dawn of that yuppie era and like the uh, jazzer size and like, you know, this machine that will solve every problem you've ever had, like things along those lines. It's so well depicted here because it's depicted in vagaries, like the specifics of what his parents who could not give a flying fuck about history of, of any kind, uh, what they're it's obsessed the, with the history of microwave production. Yeah. <laughs> they, well, that's why I was driving as the, 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 the history doesn't matter to them because they're concerned about what's now, what's cool. And like, they're so invested in that. They basically are terrible parents. I mean, yes. like it's, it's, it's implied and not outright shown, but it's heavily implied that like this kid leads a pretty lonely life. Just sitting there with his history books being like, Oh, you know, who's cool? Agamemnon. You know who's not cool? My dad. I wish yeah. he loved me. You know, my like, fucking dad. <laughs> fuck my dad. What if Agamemnon was my dad? You know, and that goes back to the uh, the childlike yeah. logic, right? And, and so you get a little bit of a hint of like sort of like a sad life of of someone who like lives mostly in his head, mm -hmm. but also happens to be just astoundingly good at like knowing like history that charitably most adults don't know. Let alone like a kid his age, but he's great at it. He knows all of these. Yeah, specifics. but is he doing taxes? <laughs> That's a, <laughs> rarely. I would is know it, more history if I didn't have to do taxes. Rarely is it asked: Are our children doing taxes? <laughs> it's no, 12 I think, I think are your children between, doing taxes? The difference between that kind of kid in England and that kind of kid in America, once again, is that like that kind of kid in America becomes like a libertarian, like an obsessive <laughs> hey, libertarian. Oh, I was that kid. Oh, not know. all, not all of them, but I'm just saying, like that kind of like <laughs> all of them become libertarians. Like, Got it. Like, that kind of kid ends up like cosplaying. <laughs> that kind of kid ends up cosplaying like the Revolutionary War, and it's just like, don't tread on me. Whereas a kid in, I think, in England, as it's a dying empire that's kind of has this long history and this long, even fictional history, kind of with Robin Hood. Like, there's no evidence that Robin Hood like was a real person. Like kind of you know thinks about it in terms of these like romantic Boris, and i feel like you're forgetting about the whole of the american south yeah <laughs> like, well i'm sorry that that kid didn't dream about having slaves but <laughs> like are you saying that there are europeans who've never dreamed of having slaves oh no all europeans just intrinsically have dreamed about having slaves or or owning like a mine in like africa and doing the elon musk uh agamemnon you know. had slaves yeah, and that's why he's canceled. Anyway, that's this Gosh, episode that. of Movie Night Extravaganza. That's why Agamemnon was canceled. Send tweet. <laughs> I, oh, we haven't even got to Sean Connery about beating women. Oh, yeah. That's like <laughs> its own thing. Do we have to talk I'm not going to let Sean Maybe eventually Connery get to a point Sean and Connery switch Connery topic 17. All right, Conan, yeah. continue. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> That's my thoughts. I've been I've been having these the, the imperialist, like, kind of, thoughts about this movie in my head and i've wanted to get to certain ones yeah, so yeah i can I, tell I, no i, I you know <laughs> it's on your mind i'm done, I'm done. I'm, i'll mute myself but i think that the, so so there's there's an element of 
and, and if there's a theme for movie night Fantasia, right. Is that like some of the, the human characters, you know, there tends to be like the trope, which is something identifiable for a lot of us as the bookish type, the person who lives more in their head than in the outside world for whatever reason, maybe it's like a bastion where like literally he gets dumpstered because he likes reading too much. And like these kids are dicks or, uh, you know, whether it's more of a Kevin who's just his interests don't align with his parents in any way, shape or form. He doesn't really have an outlet for it living in this uh, kind of pseudo suburban hell. Uh, I think that it's, it's notable because that makes for an interesting hero. Like what they said in the, what I wanted to reference was in the, you know, when the, there was the talk after the preview, right. They, they're talking about like having someone along like the, where the protagonists, you know, they weren't, you know, the, the, they mentioned the height, the height thing, right? That like, it's like, oh, you got a little kid, but it's like the whole crew of these like toughs on this going around doing these time highs aren't much taller than them, which is such a like Monty Python be like, oh, why don't we just have them be the same height? Then it won't seem so weird. They're running around with a kid. It still seems weird, by the way. It is technically child abduction. Yeah, but, but it's they're also like he wants to go. Spiritual beings. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically angels. Like when I tell people about this movie, I say, there's this group of angels who like helped in creation and got bored. And so they stole something from God. God is actively trying to hunt them down. Also, there's a kid. And then they just steal stuff from people. You also could get one of the best things to uh, uh, force like overall critique too, which is that like at one point, the God character later on again, spoiler alert for a movie almost as old as I am. uh, The God character is like, Oh, we can't have any sitting down on the job, like to the dead character and like resurrects him, which is just like, reminds me of the pandemic in every fucking company. (laughs) Being like, well, being dead is no excuse for missing work. That's no excuse for missing work. Exactly. You died of of COVID. Why are you not here? Yeah, but I think that was at a time where that was actually a humorous statement yeah. and not a that was considered commentary on reality. Humor also, instead of a literal, like, actual reality of, like, you know, you're expected to still show up. You're like, well, well I have this pandemic. Writing, what better God in the machine than God himself? Well, like, sure. And, and and I remember, the I think the second or third time I saw it as a... Uh, not not a kid, but as a young man, I was sort of like annoyed. Like, uh, why does it have to be God? That's super annoying. Like, I was I was like, you know, in, adopting that aspect of things. I think it's great now. It's like now it's like, yeah. oh, that's hilarious because it's like that's something that it's easily palpable to the rubes too. You know, I mean, like, let's think about the fact that this is a movie that got like a wide theatrical release. Was the was it biggest super successful? Film no, but huh? was the Brit- biggest British film in the United States until. Um, uh, a fish called Wanda. I mean, and and you can look at like Great okay, film that we should talk about. By the way, eventually. yes, you can and look you know at what? Fierce Creatures isn't bad either. Just it's not as good as Fish Called Wanda. Let Conan let Conan finish the thought. I no, he's, he's gonna quit the show if we don't. Let him <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about a fish called Wanda now. We can tell. Uh, <laughs> the life of Brian is probably the perfect example. Mm. Yeah, right. Which and, is. A, which, you know, throughout this, uh, the, the documentary that I, I watched yeah. on it, um, they, they're talking about how George Harrison uh, tried to sell the film to distributors and, and Dennis, fucking Dennis, dude, fucking whatever <laughs> Dennis is up to. He, they tried to sell it as like a, an updated edition of Life of Brian. They're like, it's nothing right. like that, but like. Which is absurd in every possible level, but yeah. I appreciate the, the hustle of being like, oh, yeah, it's just like the thing that you liked that was very successful. That was not for like kids that. in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Even a little bit, yeah. Wait, Biggest Dickest wasn't Life, for kids? 
No, I'm thinking more <laughs> of the nudity, dude. <laughs> well, British, like Europeans don't think that way about nudity. That's though. true, but like if you're yeah, selling, but, but also market. like movies in the early '80s were, were uh, you know, like have you seen? Have you watched Clash of the Titans recently? Yes, actually, I have. Yeah. Okay. Let's let Conan finish the last 10%. But the full frontal dude. I'm sorry. Yes, I, like, just like 10 minutes. We're never going to get back to where we started. It's all okay. y'all are old. Okay. I'm of a different generation, apparently. <laughs> what, what, I just want to put that out there. Congratulations. I don't, Thank you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, nudity in children's films. Oh, I see. All right. I had no idea what you're talking about, but that's yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard your show. I'm, not, I'm used to it. Oh, so you're saying our conversation's a little too highbrow for you? Exactly. You're kind, of, you're, you're kind of dressed like a like a like a pilgrim or something. I don't. I'm know. going for a witch. <laughs> <laughs> it, makes, it makes this a lot oh, more. Oh, yeah. It's it's I thought I getting thought quite puritanical with this one, uh, isn't she? <laughs> I was I was gonna say big Supreme Court energy. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dissenting opinion. Girl. Notorious boss. RGB. <laughs> <laughs> every 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 time a bunch of dead people like everyone's kind of like you know like betty white and uh like i always imagine that someone's gonna be like you know what they're they're hanging out with rbg right now in heaven they're all having because when she died they're it was jamming with tupac of... up in heaven Kurt <laughs> <laughs> cobain and ruth brader ginsburg she plays the nose flute <laughs> and michael well, okay and my Michael I could see Betty White hanging out. Not hanging out. <laughs> anyway, Conan, let me hear. Let me hear. Oh, oh, just like the movie, I lost the thread, so it's fine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's amazing that like all these ideas are packed into this film. I get a, a few of which we could you know, arguably take or leave, but it adds to the dreamlike quality of it, going from yes. like vignette yes. to vignette, scene to scene, which is mm -hmm. which some people thought that was poor writing. That was their idea. That was literally like the the idea, and again, like you know, they mentioned like the whole thing of like having these different things like strung together. Well, it's very successful as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. Now, could have been done a little better, yeah, probably, but it's it's still like it's it's very it's a very watchable weird movie, and I think there's a special category for movies for that. That you know, it's first of all, it's astounding that it has a Criterion Collection release. But that's because it's Terry Gilliam, right? But like, um, well, I think it's because of Brazil. Also, I mean, you know, like they well, and Brazil earns it, and again. One of my favorite movies of all time, so I'm a little bit biased to it. But some of the ideas that are presented here are built upon and made into very stunning, sardonic critiques within Brazil. And it kind of went two directions with Gilead. Like, there's it kind of went more towards like, okay, this is the last one that's like, okay, this is serious, but also comedy is more like, well, this is a serious drama that has funny moments to like, no, this is basically a comedy that you're like, oh, they have a point. <laughs> like and it kind of split off like that whereas this one of the last movies where it does kind of both simultaneously and one of the reasons why is it works a lot and doesn't work all the time and yeah. as as for the greater audience i'm not talking about people that are fans of the film of course we all get it we stand for the individual dwarves you know they're fantastic <laughs> they're great we love it folks your, we love them more more. would have approved we love those Maybe. little guys I, I said the Peter Dinklage uh, coming out against uh, Snow White, the new Disney remake. Was that serious? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, he was on Marin and, and said this. And then Disney had a response, which I haven't read yet. 
I mean, sometimes I'm just not like maybe aware of something that's sometimes it's okay not to be in the internet, I think, is is but like They were supposed to be magical creatures. They were like fairies. Also problematic. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I, I what, I'm a fairy. I'm a fairy to you. It's, it's, like, it's like the magical Negro or the magical uh, Native American or, or whatever, you know. But um, is it though? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think that necessarily. That I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I brought this up. I just. Thought it was interesting that we're talking about this movie today. No, and- I think because I, I was thinking the same thing. Like, um, you know, depictions of people with uh, physical differences are uh, sometimes pretty poor, and it was really kind of hard to tell whether they were in this movie or not. Yeah, you know, this movie kind of threads that line, and I think yeah. they were having fun. Yeah, I don't think anybody. <laughs> yeah. Under- yeah. I any of them thought they were being exploited. They were like, cool, we get paid work with a cool director and like, uh, you know, get to like- And really shit. neat roles. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this led to uh, the, the the main dwarf, um, uh, who, whose actor, I'm ex- his name is escaping me, who in sadly committed suicide, unfortunately. In the movie, um, his name is Randall. And I tried to figure out his name yeah. the entire movie. And then later on, he's like, Randall. And I was like, oh, I guess it's Randall. Yeah, no, he had a TV show a few years later called uh, The Wizard, where he's basically playing Elon Musk meets James Bond. Yeah, The Wizard. I remember that. Uh, yeah. And it was it was great. And, uh, uh, you know, like, like, that's the kind of roles that Peter Dinklage is, is saying that they should have is, you know, he wants to play basically like, you know, uh, uh, a swashbuckling romantic lead. Um, yeah, David Rappaport, right? That's the- Yes. Yeah. And he, he was well, fantastic. And and you know right, Peter Dinklage in Game of Thrones, like that was a really interesting role. I feel like Time yeah. Bandits, that's a really interesting role too. But also Snow White is uh, a classic fairy story, and the dwarves were never really, to me, an indication that that they were people with dwarfism. It was that this was a magical species. Yeah, there's some, there's some manner of fantastical creature that right. has something to do with, uh, well, they don't even say like, you know, they, he's like, you mean God? And like, you know, there's that great exchange where it's like, no, not really. But like, it's like, implied. I don't know him that well. Like, I don't know if he's, like, you know. Yeah, like, we don't really. But it's implied that there's <laughs> right. something lost. It's implied that there's something lost in translation. That like right. all of these biblical myths are like, oh, no, it's actually this, these little folks that are right around and they really like to steal. Like, like that was left yeah. out of these chronicles. Well, they're kind of they're they're angels. Like they're what we would consider angels. Like they work for God, or they work for kind of the supreme being, which I do like as a title, kind of for it. And they're the ones that kind of uh, create everything in the universe. Mm-hmm. And God is just kind of the manager of the universe. Like he he's or the supreme being is just he's kind the of BMC of deities, really. <laughs> Don't say that three times. Catherine Lou will pop up and, and, <laughs> and tell us why don't look up sucks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I, I think that it's, I think that it's interesting um, that they're kind they kind of are angels. Right. And then you kind of, it's another disillusioning thing that the angels in this movie are not angelic in any way, shape or form. And they're kind of just bored and, and, and God is not godly. You know, he's not, pure good he's kind of the manager of a large firm like that's what it feels like when he finally walks out but bringing up god this is the god clip that i found in this uh documentary where they're talking about that role 
Um, well, there's sort of various philosophical levels which you could take it on with God at the end and all that, I suppose. But well, I think even God, the great thing is you grapple with how do you do God? So you get Ralph Richardson, who's pretty much mm. near God in the acting profession. Wait, he didn't do any of the lines that I'd written, did he? Yes, he did. Did he? he no, he and I. No, he, there was a couple of things. He got obsessed about this, this, this the figure of evil there, the, the charcoal fried figure yeah. of evil, because he, he, it was something about the pig eating human flesh, Og the pig. Yeah. And when we arrived on the set that day, there was the statue of David. He said, No, 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 <laughs> no, no. And no. I said, oh, no. So what he's yeah. talking about it, and it. And, and the reason he decided that they had to turn Og back into human form from pigs, pig form, is because Og was going to eat a piece of flesh, which in fact was charcoaled evil. Oh. Uh, and and so he wanted bits of evil lying around, so we then had to break up evil, leaving this. And he wanted a shot of Og as a pig with the hand of evil in his mouth, and that's why he was changing it. Well, oh. I agreed to do whatever, so we broke up the statue, but we never did the shot of the pig with the hand, and oh. so it goes all through, but it solved the problem again that day. I mean, m movie making is all about just solving the problems, yeah. the quotidian problems, it seems to me. But he was a great god, and he was a god... Again, I liked all the characters. They're really basically some very modern characters, most of them. They're all the same sort of, uh, you know, obsessions and hang-ups. And he was a very sort of prissy sort of mm. bank manager type. Headmaster, I always Headmaster, thought. Headmaster, yeah, yeah. that's right, yes. Who's Posting the yes. This yes. pain yes, that's right, yes. kids left yes. around the place. Yeah. No, he was magnificent, and I think, mm. and I love the fact that we actually do this philosophical scene at the end of this movie. Yes. Yes. You know, why do we have to have evil? Yeah. Questions like that are actually yeah. asked, which are not yes. normally asked yeah. in yeah. films, especially kids' yeah. films. And yeah. it's, uh, and it's, it's wonderful. And I, uh, that was the moment I was really pleased with because I had him walk behind the pillar when the, when the kid asked the question. Yes. And he rather just, yeah. Yeah. Said, just walk out behind the. Yeah. And we just, the camera just stays there, and he goes. And yeah. then he comes back, and then yeah. I think it's something to do with free will. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just something to do with free will. Nice to write stuff. lines like that. And also evil. I mean, David Warner is quite a showman, really, and really liked all things evil could do. <laughs> and all these zapping things, which is quite out of control most of the time. But I loved, I loved his obsession with all the things that God had gotten wrong. Yeah, yeah. And his right. belief in technology is yeah. the answer to yeah. everything. Yeah. Again, it's a simple character. Yeah. It's just very funny. Yeah. And it's yeah. and yet he's threatening at the same time, and I, I just think the balance between the threat and the comedy was what mm. one of the things I really pleased with in the film. You always felt there was danger, but not too much. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, and, and these of... were smart people. Even the dumb ones were smart. Always mm. struck me. Yeah, in the film. <laughs> but it was a mis mystical sort of uh, you know metaphysical issues on a very banal level. <laughs> First, started showing it here. I'm I'm really glad that he, you played that Forrest because I forgot that the I, I really wanted to talk about um, you know his again I'm talking about like the main character of the, the the main conceit of the entire thing is that like you know hey there's all this evil doing going on right and he's really into technology and that's incredibly prescient because even what he's talking about even though he's not getting like super specific about stuff it all still holds true right. Mm -hmm. like, it's all sort of like he's really like hey you know it, it's basically one line away from being like oh that dude just predicted the next 30 years yeah <laughs> i mean essentially like and that guy won their cell phones yeah 
These kids with their printing presses. These and kids how with their wheels. Like how, but how everything is used basically for these nefarious purposes to make, <laughs> like, to make a. She's a girl of a different generation. What can we say? That's. So <laughs> I'm a pilgrim, apparently. Somehow I'm both are one. Pilgrim on this one. Well, I, I think the the movie is less about technology and more about consumerism, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's not it's about technology. I said he's into technology. There's a distinction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Notable but like, it, it which the parents to are too. Yeah. It would be easy to connect all technology as being bad because bad is or evil or whatever is. Yeah, I don't think that that's. I don't think that's, yeah, that's, that's what they're doing. I don't. Yeah, I don't that's think not what the movie's doing at all. No. Like, objectively, right? So we can agree. Yeah. On that, so that's good. <laughs> but but there is i mean the parents are really into technology so when they actually touch the evil it's like in the same way they're kind of having this obsessive uh impulse to just be like whatever the yeah. next thing is let's buy it they're literally living that out by touching the evil that's like super into computers the technology uh, I, is is not evil but it's corrupting them the yeah. banality yeah. of evil well and, and it's the banal evil that we all deal with all the time where it's not even as explicit as like hey there's a big dude throwing fireballs or there is a big dude throwing fireballs at the end uh kind of thing but like the fact that the evil is coming you know from us like it's mm -hmm. bringing out our worst nature so and it does so in a way that doesn't really bop you overhead with it but i think if you watch it now oh my god it's it's like it's incredibly explicit it's like oh that's cool that this dude basically you know invented twitter right on <laughs> well and i thought i thought uh, too when i was watching it and this was something that i definitely would not have picked up on as a kid but to me, I was also seeing as specifically British, uh, but you know the rest of the world too. But the kind of um, I think that was the uh, youth, I think the that's, youth, the, that's what the uh, the slogan that the British Empire used specifically <laughs> British, but the rest of the world too. <laughs> dot dot dot. But the rest of the world too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like twelve point type underneath the twenty four point type. Yeah. Anyway, the 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 uh, like in Britain in the early 80s the kind of like post-punk new wave like rage against suburbia like i could have seen an xpc song going on during like the scenes there like i was like in my head i was thinking of like respectable street i think it's making plans for nigel but that's probably better yeah yeah i was like i was playing like respectable street and like just kind of the the like british rage against suburbia uh, played out uh, in, in film in a way that you don't see quite as much. Um, and like, I just really couldn't even like disconnect those two things, but for them to be simultaneous in time, like just a general rage against British suburbia was happening in the early eighties. Yeah. It was very much like Brixton, which was a bedroom community where Depeche Mode grew up from, um, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, which is weird because they didn't rage against the suburbs like, um, uh, like, like a lot of the um, uh, the two tone label people mm -hmm. uh, certainly did. Well, when you don't, I mean, when you don't have class analysis, like it, it kind of comes down to kind of raging against like the suburbs as a concept. When you don't have class analysis, it kind of comes raging against appliances sometimes as like as a concept. I think this movie did have like a, a class analysis to it, and I think that Monty Python throughout its entire tenure kind of had an interesting take on a lot of the absurdity of like actually existing socialism as it actually kind of played out. Mm -hmm. Like they have the whole game show where it's like different Marxist figures kind of um, 
like like this that's like a great sketch but like it's it kind of feels like uh that 80s punk scene a lot of times like there wasn't there ended up being kind of a rage against i mean as we talked about with sid and nancy the labor party kind of falling through right Mm -hmm. like uh throughout the entire um like alex cox purposely put like labor is failing like all the stuff behind it it led to the right the rise of thatcher but it like it's it's uh, um, a local politics that doesn't necessarily um reflect like a real class dynamic or a real class analysis of what's actually going on behind the scenes you're just kind of anarchists raging against the fact that there is a machine to rage right but i think i think the difference between punk and the suburban rage that came later in like post-punk and new wave is the difference between blue collar rage that was really like bringing attention to the class consciousness and like the really like the most affected people uh were kind of on the front lines of that like people who were from factory towns and stuff like that by the time you get to the early 80s and you're starting to see new wave um you're starting to see more of the uh, lower rung white collar communities raging against the the social constructs that they're seeing. And they're very different um, backgrounds, but like if they can all come together, like it's one of those things, like you're seeing rage from two different groups and everyone can see the similarities, but maybe they're not coming together very well. And that's like been the problem of the left this whole time. Rant over. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say that Blender in the Name of is definitely my favorite Rage Against the Appliances song. Uh, but I think that this movie shows the dawn of modern commercialism. And again, mm-hmm. uh, what, what became known as yuppie-like behavior, but does so in a way that's already ripping it apart when it's still right. being born. Right. Which is fantastic because it shows that these guys, as much as the Monty Python crew, you know, get... Uh, they get retroactively put against modern morality for humor that was basically well over 40 plus odd years ago. I think they were incredibly astute in pointing out problems and just mercilessly mocking it mm-hmm. in a way that like still holds true to this day, which is astounding. Yeah. That's I, I mean, to me, a surprising amount of Monty Python does hold up to today's standards. I agree. Um, I, and it's actually surprising that so much of it does. Um, so I, you know, Nobody well, it's one of the reasons why it endures. Stop it. Right? It's, it's one of the reasons why John Cleese is, is almost in like an Iggy Pop sort of role that he just almost can't quite tarnish his image completely. Even though he's, he's trying. Really, he's, he's really trying. trying. He's yeah. trying so hard. Like someone needs to take his freaking phone away or his computer yeah. or both. Cancel culture is really tearing us apart. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but like, I think, I think England comes to this awareness of kind of this neoliberal turn right like this Mm -hmm. what we can all kind of just call that like with thatcher kind of taking over and kind of being you know england's reagan um in a very different way obviously she's not like uh movie star quality anything she's kind of just the the first time they've ever really had um you know like a a quote-unquote like working class this class obviously is a social dynamic a lot of times within 79 is when thatcher comes in as prime minister by the way yeah that's actually i was gonna i was made a note to check that out but i decided to make a rage against the machine joke instead so there you go (laughs) i actually did look it up just now but yeah so it's like a year but it's like a a year earlier but they've kind of had um labor for you know a long time before thatcher takes over and harold wilson as the prime minister is kind of like you know openly calls himself a socialist and you know 
um, kind of comes to it from like, oh, well, we're going to kind of empower the working classes in Britain, not the other fucking colonies, which is the same thing that's happening at the same time with uh, Mitterrand um, in, in France, where it's like, you know, listen, the re- we're going to still have imperialism as it dies out. Like it's sputtering, but imperialism is still going to exist. We can still kind of extract everything from these other countries, but we're going to have in... Uh, in England itself, like, you know, an empowering of the working classes that fails. And we talked about this extensively in our Sid and Nancy episode a long time ago. Um, and, uh, you were muted. I was was just saying, I remember. (laughs) (laughs) And you were there. It was 30, 30 plus years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Still going on. Um, but we had that conversation, right? Like, like, it kind of, you know, the Labor Party won't save you signs in, in Sid and Nancy. Like the fact that really like as kind of uh, the Sex Pistols and like all of these different kind of UK bands that like are, are promoting anarchy, but not like anarchy as in just a non-political let's throw things around. Even even as they're claiming kind of, oh, we're against fascism, there's no explicit definition of what fascism is. Yeah, they, they so, kind of actually tarnished the word anarchy in reality. I, I mean, they made it look really cool, but they also confused what that, like... That was the last time the anarchy was. ever looked really cool. <laughs> <laughs> they did make it look really cool, though. I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm a sucker for a guy with a mohawk, okay? I I thought (laughs) Anarchy in Greece looked pretty cool. (laughs) I liked the Anarchy in Bedrock. Yeah. That was a great song. I'm sorry, like, uh, I absolutely love Catherine Hellman. And like, like, you know, I watched Who's the Boss mostly for Catherine Hellman as a kid. Uh, Because like, I just loved her coming in there and just stealing every single scene. No, she's um, objectively she's, the best part of it. Brazil, she's Toby amazing. <laughs> um, she she had a pilot with soap? Elvira. She was in soap, wasn't she? Yes, that's yes. He was like yes. the the main yes. person. Yeah, she's she's One the of them, shining yes. star yeah, of a yeah shining yeah star cast. Yeah, yeah, and and then like uh, she she had a pilot with Elvira, which sounded amazing, but CBS kind of buried, so uh, we never got to see it. Huh. Could have been the Cagney and Lacey. Yeah, it was her and Elvira, you know, pretending that they're not witches. What, what more do you need? When we had written sketches in Python, large chunks, and you couldn't get from A to B, Terry would very often be deputed to do an animation, and, and they'd be very ingenious, and it'd get you through. And, whew, and it, it happened with that. I just felt mm. at certain points I could write the, the, the bulk of, say, a, a Napoleon scene or... or uh, or the ogre scene or whatever, but in order to get from one to the other, Terry would do these wonderful falls through space and through the walls and all mm-hmm. that, which is great stuff. I and mean, that, that was just so technically so good. And so it enabled us to move on quite quickly and get away from things whenever we wanted to. And I think generally speaking, we did. It, I, felt, I always felt at the end it got slightly more, the, the scene with the ogre on board ship is quite a longish scene. Yeah. I mean, and up to then, everything had gone just about the right pace yeah. moving through. And it slows up a little there because I think it's just on board ship and it's. There's not, there's not much action at that point. No it's lot. actually shorter than what we actually wrote. It's, it was, it, we kept trimming that one down, and there's a certain point you can't yeah. go below. And yeah. it's. Yeah. You, you Maybe you're probably right. It's not perfect, Mike. It's not a perfect. No, no, no. No, I don't, no it's, it's visually perfect. But if, know, I, if I know, could just. Saying, it's just put, no, it's my writing. Yeah, my writing. Something on and on and on. I just I'm, know when to stop. And you somebody who only recently bumped into me said, and I mentioned Time Bands, he said, God, that film kicks ass. 
<laughs> which is a wonderful way to describe yes. uh, that kind what of film. Yeah. The boat is, think that these things the right way around. The giant wears a hat that looks like a boat, and it's full of boaty things inside. What was the thinking there? Was it the, a boat going along and then, oh, what a great idea if it's actually someone, on someone's head? It's even simpler. Or was it? Uh, Brian Froud, you know Brian Froud? Yes, has done books and pixies artist, and all yeah. that. Fantastic. There's a book he did once on pixies or giants, like, and there's a character in there in the water with a boat on his head. And I stole it from it. That's a confession. It's as simple yeah. as that, folks. We did say out of that business that what you do in the past is going to affect the future. We just avoided getting into that because we just kept plummeting further into the past and then made the sidestep leap into the land of legends. So you know, right out of that one. I think the problem with, I think, a lot of films with time travel, they, they, they're, they're slightly more pretentious. They think they've got to say more important things where yeah. we were free from that. They just ride it and go and not get caught up in, in, in the thing you can do it in a book. You've got the time and, and the complexity in a book, but films just want to get on with it, it seems mm. to me. And it's, yeah. uh... Indeed. I was just thinking that. He, he, uh, he said the thing. Gets on with it. My favorite part is when he said the thing, then it went to the middle part, and then it was over. That was my favorite. <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the middle thing, the thing of all things. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's interesting that they're talking about pacing there, though, right? Like, you don't hear that very often when it comes to... Um, I mean, you hear that when it comes to writers, but not necessarily when it comes to, like, full-fledged films. And coitus as well, but, yes, pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. it back in your back in your day, coitus. Coitus, yes, as we call it back in the day when, when I was a child in the 1800s. I think that it's they're comedians, ultimately. Like uh, Gilliam was, you know, comedy adjacent, maybe much like myself. Well, I mean, he was doing comics, like, like he was doing humorous comics. But the, but pacing is everything in comedy, also in hosting, yeah. <laughs> in podcasts. <laughs> so. But the idea of pacing being so important to them, of course, it's going to be important. They, that's how they think in terms of like, why is it funnier if there's like a one second gap versus like a half second gap? It just is. You just mm -hmm. intrinsically know it. And it's all over the script and in all the action on screen. Even people that are not brought in to be funny, everyone gets to be a Margaret Dumont in some cases. Who's that? Oh. Yeah. yeah, I'm too young for that one. The Marx Brothers, before any of our time put together, but she is the ultimate. She's brilliant because oh, she's the older lady that was in all of the Marx Brothers. Uh, she's not an older lady. She was she was the same age, but she was just she played the straight person so that like yeah uh, Groucho and whoever else could just bounce and like if she wasn't there, also. which is this is a skill. Look, can, like can you just not right now, like. It's a skill to be a good straight person, and it is part of comedy. So if you ever see someone, and, and they're a comedian, they're not funny, you can just say, you'd be a fantastic straight person. Because it's not really an insult, but it's probably true. But the thing is, it's important in comedy to have, like, if you have this, like, volatile universe going around you. No. I, someone has to be the Saturday one that's, like, 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 huh? What, what do you mean? You know, like, the straight face kind of person. But yeah, no, Tim Meadows on Saturday Night Live was always playing that and was brilliant at it. And, and so, like, you know, it's nice to see that that uh, uh, that that they are able to kind of pull that off by getting some brilliant actors who aren't known for being funny, like Ian Holm, who was the uh, killer robot in, in Alien. 
Oh, was he really? Oh yeah, yeah. yes he was. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you forgot about that, didn't you? That that's some December shit, man. <laughs> that was like a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a hundred thousand years ago, bro. <laughs> oh. I uh, uh, I really loved the both of the ogres, though. Um, yeah. Because I really liked the um, over the top, like human concerns given to monsters. Yeah. Like. They have a life. They were a, they were a very <laughs> loving couple. Yeah. You really liked them. Uh, had they not been trying to eat the people you were following the entire time, one you would have tiny been little flaw. Now the one thing that's the nature <laughs> of thing. being an ogre, though. <laughs> yeah, and, like and that's why we love Catherine Hellman. Oh, she was. Wonderful. They never once told anybody to get out of my swamp, though. So you know, I couldn't. I couldn't follow him personally. No, but was it, that it a is Shrek reference. Yes. Yeah, it was. Don't get. Yeah, number two. <laughs> but um, but no, I I I liked I liked also the way that they tricked the ogre, right? Who is not by nature a terrifying person. Like he's kind of a failure as uh, as an ogre, as we think of them. Is that you know his back is obviously constantly in peril. And uh, which and is Kevin's hilarious, like, an ogre yeah. who has a bad yes. back. That's fucking amazing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, well, and, it's almost re reminiscent of like an Asop's fable with the uh, the 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 lion with, with the, the thorn in his paw, and the mouse comes up and removes. Yeah, him. I mean, yep. which keeps it in line with like kid stories, mm -hmm. kid thoughts. It's just like aka the, the only kind of culture you need to understand I understand yes. anything that we are digging into <laughs> like that you can find a really good storytelling reason that it's there even though as a whole it might look a little disjointed like it seems very actually well worked mm -hmm. in its absurdity and i i you know, I, we're, I, though, I love criticizing movies and I have very little negative to say about this one. I think it's also pointing out, though, that like <laughs> being terrifying is kind of an aesthetic, right? Like it, it, mm -hmm. being terrifying is really about what you look like and whether you can scare people into staying in, in, in the pot. So, you know, it kind of fully um, you're checking your watch there, trying to see when we're getting off. Oh. I have not. I have. I. I have a kid here who has to go to bed. All right. Well, after after the thought, thought, we'll go to the letterbox one-liners. But um, kind of uh, so signature bed. bit. <laughs> but no. But it kind of is. It is an aestheticization of being terrifying. Like the idea of an ogre. Like they might be terrifying in form. They might be terrifying in the actual things that they do. But it totally demeans and undermines it. You know, when you find out, like, oh, well, his back hurts. His yeah. His body's, like, kind of falling apart. So, like, all of a sudden, the thing that really scares you as a kid is completely gone and neutralized because, you know, the physical defects of uh, of, of the, you know, the monster itself. And sympathy. It gets you sympathy yeah. for it, too. And then you're like, oh, right. These are fucking ogres. And they're here. They're going to eat these people. Right. Right. Like, right. Like, I forgot for a minute because it's like, oh, you get into their, like, domestic situation. Oh, I... Not able to sleep for longer than an hour, dot dot, you know, like whatever. Like it's 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 such a nice little tableau, and it's one of the yeah. things this movie does really well. Yeah, 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 it does. Anyway. All right, well, Conan, letterbox one-liners, the uh, the signature bit. That's right. This is this is the signature bit. 
I mean, keep saying it until it becomes true. Uh, so there is a site called Letterboxd. It is a, a place for film. It is a social media network that is not terrible and destructive to the world at large. It's a place for film fans to talk at with and to each other about the movies they love or don't love. It's a bottom-up democracy. No lords, no masters. We've got a lot of different people that are on there. They get to give their opinions on films. Sometimes it's pithy. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's thoughtful. And the ones that are liked the best by myself, Conan, Ogre, Backpain, Neutron, <laughs> I pull for this show, Movie Night Extravaganza, so that we can read and react to them. So here we go. Philosophy, religion, and politics for kids age six and up. <laughs> oh, come That's on. I was four when I first watched this movie. <laughs> God damn it, Andy. Erasing the four year olds. <laughs> I absolutely fucking love that the film ends with Kevin's parents getting blown up after touching a piece of evil. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's Linda, the depressed film snob. And I must agree, Linda. I think that's <laughs> it's a fantastic well, she's depressed moment. because of her parents. They fucking sucked. Five stars, too. <laughs> Extra half star goes to the pig head. Yes. <laughs> Matt the snapper yeah. on that one. M multiple pig heads in that one. There, there's quite yeah, there's a surprising amount of pig heads in this film. Including the parents, am I right, folks? I would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. Yes. That's Brian Tolerico yeah. with the, the, the great libertarian anthem. <laughs> Listen, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but, but she still liked it. Like that two and a half stars liked it. Yeah, it. good. That's that's the that's the appeal of this movie. And if you have no idea what is happening, it's still a worthwhile watch, which is impressive. Yeah. So many haters on this movie. Do they even know what it's like to have fun? Probably too busy with their evil ass computer chips and kitchen gadgets. <laughs> and their fucking clients. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Louis Jean Antoine Antoine Depardieu. Depardieu. I'm I'm inspired to go over to AT&T right now and start hitting it with a stick, but you know, the entire store and just breaking everything. Yeah, Fucking evil ass, evil ass computer chips and kitchen gadgets. I'm I'm over it. Take that, chick who's the AT&T spokesperson. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I start a Terry Gilliam movie, I should watch more Terry Gilliam. Then by the end, maybe that's enough Terry Gilliam for a while. <laughs> 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 that's Jordan Sellers with Probably one of the ones that made me laugh the most, frankly. That was good. Yeah, it was, it was a good it was a good review. Blimey, this Terry Gilliam bloke rock bloody mental, isn't it? <laughs> it's because he's American. It's because he's the one Monty Python person born in America. That's why he's so bloody mental. A thorough exploration <laughs> of shit breaking through walls. <laughs> and can we can we stay on this one for a minute too to to note the tags for Corona uh, time? Beckdale fail, agreed. Yep. Food. It's Corona time. That can go a couple ways. Previously on watch list and with Leo. Wait, is Leo their cat or something? I don't know. Who knows? But it's their tag. <laughs> but it is well, a thorough exploration of ship breaking through walls. We barely talked about it. People well, are talking I, about I it more and more. It. There's a lot of good wall work in this movie. There is. Yeah. Exactly. 
I, I actually do really like the idea that like you can kind of write the scene. You can kind of write yourself out of the scene by just being like, all right, drop through a portal now. Yeah, just like and how are we gonna end this? How do you think we're gonna end this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if I played the clip of uh of of Terry Terry Gilliam and, and uh Michael Palin talking about this, but they're talking about how it's Python esque because they could just write themselves out of a scene by just doing a portal. Gets turned into a dog and then dies. Charlotte <laughs> <laughs> Levitt with the harsh truth there. That, that was, I, f- I found that more compelling than I think I had before this, this most recent watch. That like, I was like, oh, he's got kind of like this ideation that he wants to be killed by evil, but he gets turned into a dog instead, but then he gets killed. So is that like a bittersweet for him? Yeah, I think, I think it's, I'm not king shaming. I'm not king shaming, but <laughs> it's always a fun time when the gang gets together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Goddamn right. Except it when it's when it's an hour and twenty eight minutes in. No, that's actually short for us. <laughs> it is short for y'all. Yeah. Remember the good old days when children's movies were mildly traumatic. This one was not at all traumatic for me. No, I I, I saw this one in my early teens. It was a sick day. I was yesterday. Home. No, although <laughs> that is closer to my end of the scale. You know, final thoughts on this movie. I uh, like. <laughs> I, I almost have like superlative love for this movie, and that is not what I'm typically accustomed to talking about in like movie reviews. Because I want to like knock some people down a notch, and this is just <laughs> right off the rails. <laughs> Love but it. you like it. This this one. I you love like. it. I love it. <laughs> You've broken us. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right. So hey, uh, so I think this is like like to call this a delightful romp would be the wrong way to describe this very strange movie, right? But the ideas and the high imagination that happens here, not high budget, but high imagination. High uh, something. Yes, thank you for getting the easiest joke possible and interrupting me second mm. sentence in to do so. Uh, the visuals, we barely talked about them. Like we we, but they're so good. The visuals, with almost no budget whatsoever, they made iconic visuals that, like, if you see this as a kid, it'll stick with you. Like I remembered nothing about the plot, nothing other than they were running around through time. They're doing something in time, I guess. Who knows? And when I watched it like later on, I was like, wow, that's still pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. And they did it with all, like not a lot of money. They did. They, it was high, uh, high ideas. I'm sure I said high way too many times. And it's a time heist, right? There's a, you know, they more or less kidnap a young boy, which is a recipe for comedic success. As we all know, uh, the it's kind of this whole season. There's a lot of kidnapping in these fantasies. Yeah. It's also muddle uneven. It spends, I think, too much time not knowing its purpose. So all that said, there's a dreamlike logic. There's haunting visuals to it. There are scenes and vignettes that if they, if you sit with them and you're and you're willing to like put the time into them, it's really good. So as a movie, it's like mid grade Gilliam, right? And I say that as like, look, this is a guy that made one of the greatest comedies of all time, Holy Grail. And then also made like one of the greatest dystopian sci-fi's of all time with Brazil. So when I say mid-grade Gilliam, that's actually pretty high praise. Low-grade Gilliam, 
less so. Uh, and is it the most bummer ending of all time? Yeah, fucking probably. And it's amazing. Not it's exactly. amazing. It's it's like I rooted for the parents to blow up. I'm not gonna lie. I fucking well, hated them. And it there was a point way earlier on that I, I think was uh was made that was that like the the parents like just dis disrespect this kid so much that they're like, hey, don't touch that. That's concentrated evil, you know. And then they're like immediately touches. Well, my, my own parents that, got way too excited about getting a good microwave. Like literally they did. <laughs> and totally they wanted a, a replacement for their oven. So this like, kid was willing to poop in a hole in the ground for the rest of his life to stay with the gladiator. Like he, was, Magnum, he seemed like a, a he cool was chill hang, you know, 100% yeah. over his bio parents. Just saying. Yeah. Just, just sit there and like, Hey, who's entertaining us today? All right, cool. Mm -hmm. Right on. That sounds good. You know, maybe it's some palace intrigue, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, uh, last thing I'd like to say about, about this, this film was an incredibly watchable film. And there's something to be said for the watchable films, not just the high art, uh, not just you know the proletariat bait, but a watchable film that like does does enough and like makes you think, kind of accesses your dreams in this mundane, terrible environment that we live in. Everything is is horrible every day, and an escape is not a bad thing. But also, I just want to close with saying, dead, no excuse for laying off work. <laughs> wow! All oh, right. you got that ready. Um, oh. <laughs> All right. Do you want to pass? Andy will probably. Do you have real thoughts? Do you have do you have thoughts to add to this? Okay. So, this movie, I I I want to rib Forrest a little bit by saying this movie was a good movie in that it could be viewed and experienced <laughs> by by watching it. Um, like <laughs> like he said with the room, but actually, I think this is a is a very fun and thoughtful and well put together movie that stands up even for those of us who were born in this century. So were you though? Were you born in this century? Even for those of us who were born in the most recent century that has passed. The last century, you mean? <laughs> I, I said it in a highbrow way though. Oh. Yeah. I think I think it's a good movie. I liked it. I think everybody on the show has was was born in the last century past. Well, except for Conan, <laughs> who we've established is from the 1800s. 1800s, exactly. Yeah. I'm an old, an old soul. He recognizes this era of fashion. Yeah. Have you heard these new young up-and-comers, the Marx Brothers? Oh, yeah, they're quite new. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're in the talkies. <laughs> Have you heard of this, Forrest? I, I adore Time Bandits. Um, this is one of those movies like Legend, which whenever I'm making art, sometimes I'll just put on to have on the background. And, and like, you know, I always find something inspirational, something funny, something humorous, um, something to, uh, some kind of idea that that's almost there floating around and, and I'll make a connection uh, watching it. Um, but, but also, uh, you know, just, just that the amazing thing about this as a film, you, you have such a great cast. I know I went on and on about Catherine Hellman did not talk about Ralph Richardson as God. Ralph Richardson is Fucking amazing. Um, you know, he 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 did this and Dragon Slayer in the same year, um, which are two phenomenal movies where where uh he 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 basically steals every single scene he's in in both of those. Um so so if you've not seen them, uh Dragon Slayer is a Disney-made George Lucas special effects uh uh film that that's uh still holds up today visually, but not as uh not as fun as uh uh, as uh, Time Bandits is, uh, because Time Bandits has this certain magic 
uh, that that the uh, Python guys kind of bring to it. Um, and I, I, you know, uh, when Conan's talking about this being like, you know, mid tier uh, mid tier Gilliam, like like a lot of the low tier stuff is after like the Python guys kind of stopped working with him. Not that they that they're still friends and they still watch the stuff. I know, um, uh, you know, Michael Palin is always like promoting Gilliam's uh, movies as they're coming out, but he's not often in them. Um, and but that's okay, you know, he's all they're all to work with new people, and and that's we're fine too. Have this podcast after the night. Yes, we're gonna have a whole new cast uh, ne <laughs> next episode. Please it's listen to my exciting. reverse vaudeville show that's coming out uh, <laughs> next week. It's all vaudevillian acts, but you see the ending first. It's quite the treat. Yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, on Ralph Richardson. I didn't even mention, you know, of course, you know, Sean Connery was was wonderful. John Cleese is Robin Hood, which Aww. which the brilliance the brilliance of John Cleese is how tall he is compared to how short everybody Andy, else is. Andy, there's a doggo. There's a dog. I lose, but yes, who cares what I'm saying? There's a dog. Dogs win. Especially that one. And that's the final thoughts. <laughs> is, is that the dog from those memes? Yeah, it is. One of them, but most yeah, of them. it's not the biggest guess we've had on this show. Well, my well, my it's final. Not and, wait, Andy, were you actually done? I know I bust chops here a lot. More or less. Uh, I, honestly, I kind of lost my thread. So um, welcome to my life. Yeah, I'm going you know, to end up editing this tonight. But that's the episode. My my uh, my final thoughts are. But before they collect their prize, let's look. Let's have a look at what made it possible for them to be with us here tonight. The map, please.